Good job this morning. They've been working hard on those things. It's good. Uh, if you have your Bible, you know we're probably we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in the first few verses of chapter 4 in Ephesians. And uh, today, is, as we begin in chapter 4, um, it's going to get real practical, real quick. Uh, Paul has told us a lot of things in Philippians. He's told us a lot of wonderful theology. He's told us wonderful truths about who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us and, and just the, how we view the gospel and how we view ourselves through the gospel. Um, but today, uh, as uh, he begins chapter 4, the, the, the majority of chapter 4, as he winds down the letter, is going to get real practical. It's going to get real practical. It's going to get to where the rubber meets the road about who, how we walk in, in the things that he's told us. So before we go and, and read the text, let's, uh, let's pray and ask him to bless our time together. Father, we love you. God, we come before you today with hearts of worship, with hearts of uh, lifted high to you and god we truly do want you to be high and lifted up and to uh, to get ourselves out of the way father we want to hear your word we want to hear what you have to say what you've given for us father and we ask that you would uh, that you would open our hearts to be ready to receive that god we we know that there's some hard truths in your word we know that there's some beautiful promises in your word god we want we want it all we want every bit of it lord and we want uh, not anything left out we want the whole counsel of god and so, Father, we ask that you, would, uh, that you would just prepare us today as we go to look at your word. And we thank you for that. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's going to get real practical, real quick. In, uh, in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, there's a big old therefore right at the beginning of the chapter. And uh, it's going to be based on what we've seen uh, up to this point. You know, if you've been here with us, I hope, you, I hope you've got at least the majority of the, the passages that we have gone through through this book. We're almost to the end, this final chapter, 23 verses in this chapter. Um, but he has focused uh, on the gospel from beginning. Uh, he's going to through the end. Uh, the gospel focus that he's given us is um, it's who Jesus is. Uh, he is God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, and he humbled himself. He, in the incarnation, he became a man, and he, uh, as the God-man, gave himself on a cross and was raised again so that we could be brought into right relationship with God. And we're going to see that played over and over again. So as we start in, uh, in chapter 4, uh, we're going to get down to the nuts and bolts here of what that means in our lives. It's one thing to understand that. It's one thing to affirm that. It's one thing to agree with that. But how does this play out in our lives? How does this, uh, how does this make us walk differently than we would before if we keep the gospel in mind, if we keep Christ's uh, uh, sacrifice and his righteousness and who he is before God and who he has made us before the Father, if we keep that in our mind, how does that change us? We're just going to do the first three verses because there's so much here through this chapter. I just want to read verses one through three in chapter four, and then we'll, uh, we'll go back and we'll pick them up and see what, what God is telling us through it. It says, therefore, my brethren, Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. My dearly beloved, he says it again, I beseech Euodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me 
in the gospel with Clement also and with the other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Euodius and Syntyche are women's names. And so he's talking about them right there. But I don't know if you noticed or not, but we return to the same theme of Philippians that we kind of started off with. If you're in, in the Bible that I've got in front of me, I can just flip over one page and go back to chapter one, verse 27, where Paul said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else absent, I may hear of your affairs. And this is his statement of his purpose, what he wanted for them, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That same language, be of one mind, he goes back to here and he's returning to the theme that he has been stating all along. It almost seems like he has been working his way up to this point right here to to tell these two ladies, Euodius and Syntyche, which, you know, I know it's not really Beth and Judy. I know it's some strange names, but he's telling them, I want you two to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so what does it mean, really? He's telling us, he starts in verse four, in verse one. He says, my dearly beloved, this is the command he gives. Stand fast in the Lord. Basically, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what it means to stand fast in the Lord. And as we go through chapter four, this is very important. It's going to it's going to hit on this theme. It's going to give us all kind of things. You probably know a lot of the verses of chapter four by heart. You know, there's rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. There's think on these things. There's I can do all things in Christ. We're going to get we're going to get all of these all of these passages, all of these commands in as we go through chapter four. But it all starts with this major theme of standing fast in the Lord, standing firm in the Lord. Uh, there's a big word right there at the beginning. Therefore, you know, you've always heard someone say, if there's a therefore, then you need to find out why it's therefore. So he's saying at the beginning of this chapter, he's saying, therefore, stand fast in the Lord. He says, gives a bunch of exhortations about how much he loves them. My dearly beloved, I long for you. You're my joy and my crown. Uh, and so stand fast in the Lord. He says, therefore, stand fast in the Lord. Well, all of the things that he has said in chapter three. Um, then he is, he's building on those and saying, because all those things are true, stand fast in the Lord. And now what did he, what has he said? If you remember, we, we talked about in chapter three, we talked about, um, holding the truth of the gospel, beware of the dogs and the, the ones who would, uh, who would, uh, add to works to the gospel of Christ. We talked about that. Paul said, uh, beware of your own works, your own pride to, to add, uh, works to your salvation. He said, all that I count as dung. I don't even put any of that on my account. He said uh, he he wants only to be found in the righteousness of Christ, only to be found in Jesus and what he's done. He told us at the very end of chapter three, if if you're looking at it at the very the very last few verses, he said, he said, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven says from whence also, what are we doing? We're looking for the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. He says he's going to change our body. We're looking forward to that time when we will be perfected and there'll be no more death and no more sin and no more heartache, no more pain, no more suffering and parting. He says and our body's going to be fashioned like into his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. There's coming a day when he is going to subdue all the creation. No more curse. He's going to defeat the enemies of death. 
He's going to defeat the enemies that plague us as we seek to follow Christ and walk after His ways. And so he says, because Christ is all of these things, because He is Lord of lords and He is the power that is going to give life to our new bodies is also the power that's going to subdue all things in creation. Therefore, stand fast in the Lord. Don't worry about the things that are plaguing you, attacking you. Don't try to uh, get your focus off the gospel where you think, you know, I have to perform in order for God to be pleased with me. Jesus has made God pleased with me. Jesus has given me all the righteousness that I will ever need to be right before the Father. He's given me everything I need. He says, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in what He has done. Now, before we even look at the situation that He's talking about, before we even look at why we need to stand fast in the Lord and what it means to stand fast in the Lord. Understand, you can't throw that phrase in there and just gloss over it. That phrase that says, in the Lord. He's not telling you, hey, just pull up your big, your big girl boots and, and uh, stand fast. Come on, be a man. Do, come on, in your own power, let's, let's, let's do this thing. Come on, you can, because Jesus has been so good to you, you need to be good to Jesus. So in your own strength, in your own power, you need to just put... Put, uh, plant yourself in a spot and stay there and don't be moved by anything. He says, no, you stand fast in the Lord, in the, his power, in his might, in what he has done, in his strength. And from the source that you draw from is the Lord. And so what he's saying is you stand fast in the Lord. You draw from his strength, the power that is inside you, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You stand fast in the Lord. Now, what's going on in this situation? I mean, right now, pretty much everything I've said up to this point and everything that probably Paul has said in this in this uh, book up to this point, we could be sitting here and we say, amen. I mean, hallelujah. I got it. I'm going to stand fast in the gospel. I'm going to I'm going to stand fast against those who uh, try to dilute the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. I'm going to hold up the banner of the gospel, hold up the banner of truth. And say, I will not move from this from this place. I will not move from this stand that I'm making in the gospel. I'm going to hold fast to it. I'm going to stand here and I will not be moved. And everybody said, amen. And if you were here in the if you were here in the church in Philippi, this letter was sent from Paul by Epaphroditus to the church and they would have read it publicly. It would have been sitting like this and they would have said uh, one person would get up and they would say this is a letter from the Apostle Paul and they would start reading it. And I can just imagine everybody going, that's right. Amen. Amen. That's right. But here he says it's going to get real personal real quick uh, as he's reading this letter. I mean, can you imagine these two ladies, Euodius and Syntyche? They're in the church, and obviously there's some kind of dispute going on. There's some kind of disagreement going on. We're going to talk about what it may or may not be. He doesn't really tell us what it is. But they're sitting in the church. They're sitting in the congregation. And, you know, they're, they're listening to the letter. I'm just, I'm just giving you a, a for instance. They're hearing all these things, just like you have heard them as we've read this letter. And they're going, amen, that's right. That's right. Who we are in Jesus That's right. We throw all our works away. They're done. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then all of a sudden it says, uh, you odious Syntyche, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you now. Make sure you understand this is not just some theology out there. That's theory and it's all pie in the sky. And you know what? That's right. Amen. That's right. 
We have to apply this to our lives. We have to apply what the gospel is and who Jesus is in our everyday situations, in our everyday messes that we get in, in the disputes and the disagreements and the things that go on. He's calling for them to have the same mind and he's calling them by name. Can you imagine if I'm Syntyche or if I'm Euodius, if I'm one of these women and I'm sitting here or if I'm the guy sitting right behind these women and uh, and, all, you know, they're amen. Pra- praise God. And I, they're probably, you know, maybe thinking, I hope these folks are listening. I hope these folks are listening. That's wonderful. And all of a sudden your name gets called. I mean, not just called into preaching like brother, brother Chris, you know, that's right. Don't just not like that. I'm talking about it's written down in the text. It's going to be there forever. You know, my word will not pass away. It's going to be your name is written down there forever. I can just imagine a gulp. I can imagine a, a, some eyes getting big and I can imagine a guy sitting right behind her going, yeah, that's right. That's right. Listen to him. That's right. So he calls their names and he says, I want you to be in the same mind. I want you to be in the same mind. This is the thing that he has been leading up to all the way from the beginning of this book in chapter two, which we looked at uh, a while ago, but there is the most beautiful passage there. It's called the Carmen Christie. We went through it where it talks about Jesus humbling himself, where he talks about uh, uh, Jesus who was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and he became a man and he became a servant, obedient unto death. And we saw that passage at the beginning of that passage in uh, chapter two, verse two. I'll just read it to you. Paul told them before he even explained all that about Christ, he says, fulfill my joy that you be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. He told them that in chapter two. And then he went through and showed us Jesus, showed us who Christ is and how he humbled himself. And we are to have the mind of Christ. You remember that when we talked about that in the mind of Christ? Having the mind of Christ. Well, it all comes down to this. He's telling them the same thing. Okay, you guys, I want you to to be of the same mind. I want you to. This is not just this is not just for you to agree with me about who Jesus is. It's not just for you to affirm the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's a big part of it. That's faith in the gospel. We understand that. But this also applies. It's where the rubber meets the road. It applies to your life. It applies to your situations. It applies to the things going on around you. Do you walk in the gospel? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about, oh, I never sin. I'm not talking about anything like that. But do you walk as if Jesus Christ has paid for all the sins for those who trust in him? Do you walk that out? And that's what he's going to kind of illustrate to us here as we uh, as we look at these two and what was going on. So the letters being read and all of a sudden these two names get called and everybody knows what's going on. So the question we need to ask, the question we need to ask is what is uh, what's going on? What's the problem? What is the deal with these two with these two ladies? Before we before we even get into that question, though, I want you to see in verse one, Paul's tone. Paul isn't coming to them as the sheriff. He isn't coming to them as the one laying down the law. Of course, he is. He is an apostle, has the right to do so. He says that in the letter of, to, um, to uh, uh, 
uh, Philemon, about Onesimus. He says, I have the right just to tell you what you're going to do, but I'm asking you. I'm asking you as a brother in Christ. He doesn't come to them saying, okay, guys, you guys are a bunch of idiots. You need to stop all this stupidity and you need to start walking like... He doesn't come like that. He comes with a pastor's heart. He comes with love. Look how many times he tells these folks he loves them in the first verse. I mean, it's almost awkward. The way it's phrased, because he, he's just doing it over and over. He says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved. That means the ones who I love. He says, the ones who I love, the ones who I long for, the ones who are my joy and my crown. And then at the end, after he says, so stand fast in the Lord, he said, my dearly beloved. It's almost like he's pouring it on to him to let him know how much is, much he loves him. So it's not an issue of him saying, okay, you guys are are really messing this whole thing up and this is what needs to happen and you're going to be you're going to be consigned to hellfire unless you listen to me and do what I say. He is so concerned for them. This is important. This is an issue. Remember in chapter 3 when he was telling them to beware those who who um, would add to the gospel. Beware those who would say that my my religious works and my things are making me right with God. He says, I have told you and warned you about them with tears. He is coming to them with a heart that is so concerned and full of love for them. So when he corrects these two women, when he instructs the other people to help them, He's not doing it out of uh, malice or uh, not doing it out of a heart of you guys better do what I say and listen, get up under my thumb and do do. You know, I'm the I'm the man. You're going to listen to me. He's doing it out of concern for them because this is so important. This is this is just as important here as it was in chapter three when we talked about those who would dilute the gospel. So he's coming to them with a pastor's heart, with a love about him saying, look, I am longing for you. I love you. And I have got to I have got to show you what it means to walk in the gospel. You have got to fix if you believe in this gospel, if you believe in the truth of Christ, then you have to fix what's going on in your fellowship. You have to fix this discord. You have to be of the same mind. You have to be uh, yoke fellows. We'll talk about that momentarily. So let's let's see what he's talking about here. What's going on with these two women? The women's these two women. Um, uh, he doesn't tell us. So really, there's no for sure way I can tell you what he, what's going on. But I can make some observations in verse two. He says he says. Um, where am I? There I am. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, there's a few things that I can, I can uh, extrapolate based on what Paul says here, although we can't know exactly what's going on. Uh, the first thing is that their discord, their disagreement, whatever it is that was going on, he's telling them to stop it. It was well known in the church. Because he doesn't explain it. He expects everybody in the Philippian church to know what's going on. And they're just reading it out. Remember, it's a public letter being read. So pretty much everybody in the church knows that this discord, this disunity, this disagreement, whatever it is, is going on. The second thing is that this has been going on for a long time. How do I know that? Because Paul has heard about it in Rome. This is not, remember, this is not the day and age where I can send an email and it gets there in, in 20 seconds. It's not even the day and age where I can send a letter and it gets there in two days. I mean, you're going to have to travel three months to go bring a letter to Paul and then three months back. So this thing has been going on. It's been festering. It's been, it's been going on to the extent that, that it has, 
I'm thinking it's divided the church a little bit because it has gotten all the way to Paul. I mean, it's gotten all the way to Rome. Hey, have you heard about them two ladies that are disagreeing over in over in the church at Philippi? Have you heard about what's going on? It had to have been causing ripples in the church. Otherwise, why would Paul air people's dirty laundry in a public public letter? It had to have been reverberating. Things have been going on and it always does. When we have personal disagreements, petty little things that we're that we're holding against each other, it affects the body of Christ. I don't care if you keep it to yourself. I don't care if you don't involve anybody else. It affects who we are as a body of Christ. And so this thing had it had blossomed in this church to the extent that Paul feels the need in this letter to say, okay. I've told you who Christ is. I've told you three or four times to be of the same mind. I've told you three or four times to be like-minded and to strive for the gospel together. Now I'm going to get real practical and I'm going to tell you kind of what I'm talking about. You two ladies, y'all need to get together and y'all need to agree in the Lord. Now, I want to tell you this also. I don't think it was a doctrinal dispute. I don't think it was about the truth of who Christ is in the gospel. Why? Because Paul doesn't take sides here. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't really tell who's right, who's wrong. He doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't really admonish them. And in fact, in verse 3, he says that their names are written in the book of life. So we're talking about two believers here. And so... If you think about it, Paul was not the kind of guy to beat around the bush. He was not the kind of guy to let false doctrine fester in a fellowship. I mean, think about it. He scorched the Galatian church for their uh, false doctrine, for the people that were coming in introducing apostasy. If you read the letter to the Galatians, I mean, it's it's quick and it's uh, it's real sharp and pointed. I mean, he calls them idiots twice. I mean, it's really, he really gets after him. And he, he scorched the Corinthians as well for the things that they were doing and the things that were going on in that church in the, in the letter to the Corinthians. And in fact, Hey, Paul in, uh, in Galatians and in Acts, you can read it. Paul faced down the apostle Peter because of what Peter was doing and because of Peter's actions leading to other people thinking that the gospel was some kind of thing that you had to make sure that you kept the laws and the food laws and the cleanliness laws. He stood and withstood Peter face to face. So Paul was not the kind of guy just to kind of gloss over some doctrinal problem, some doctrinal issue, some issue of truth. So I don't think it was a, and this is just me, I don't think it was a doctrinal issue. I think it was a personal issue that had cropped up. We don't know who Euodius is. We don't know who Syntyche is. The only time they're mentioned in the Bible is here. And this, this is the only time their, their, uh, their dispute is mentioned. And there's really no information given. So what I think, what I think that was going on is there was just some sort of personal dispute, some sort of discord that had developed between the two. Remember, when, when you, when you say, when, uh, this is just me too, when I'm thinking, these two women are having a dispute, you know, Syntyche and Euodius. What you're thinking of is just the two old bags in the church bickering back and forth. You know, uh, you done sat in my seat and, I, you know, you moved my peas and, and, and they ate her green beans instead of eating my green beans. And, you know, you, you're thinking about just two old cratchety women that just can't get along and it's better just to leave them alone. Paul doesn't describe them this way. Look in verse three. It says, he says that their names are written in the book of life. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. We'll talk about that person in a minute. He says, help these women. And these women labored with me in the gospel. These are not just old bags sitting on the, on the you know, as far as they can get 
away from uh, the preaching of the gospel, away from the fellowship, just wanting to get their stuff in. This is not just two old eggs having it out in the church. These are women that these are women that labored with Paul in the gospel. And it says whose names are written in the book of life. These are two saved women who have invested their life in the labor of the gospel. So we can't say that, oh, they were just messing everything up, these two. These were believers who had invested in the church and they were having some sort of discord that we don't know what it what it was. But understand the application that this brings for us. I mean, just just to to look at their situation from afar, to back up and, and look at it. Standing fast in the Lord for Paul here doesn't just mean fighting against those who would dilute the gospel. We do do that. It doesn't just mean fighting against right, wrong theology, uh, wrong views of Jesus. Those are things that, I mean, if you know me, those are things that I'm going to stand for. Those are the things that I won't back down over. You have to have a right understanding, a biblical understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done in order for anything to make sense. You have to have the gospel as the center of everything. But just understanding right theology is not standing firm in the Lord. It's walking in that theology. It's walking in that gospel. It's living the living out that gospel in the particular situations of your life. The particular things that come up in your life. You can we can get a mental picture of these two women. They were believers, names written in the book of life. They had labored. You know, you just bring it into modern times. You can think they were two women in the church that were doing everything. You know how it's only 10% of the people in the church that do all of the work. These were two of the 10%. They were doing everything. They were washing the dishes. They were helping with the children. They were, they were, they were laboring for the gospel. They were witnessing to people. They were doing the work of striving in the Lord for the gospel. But they just had this thing going on between them. And Paul's saying, look, if you believe this gospel... If you believe the truth of what I've told you about who Christ is and what he has done, humbling himself, then you too, in your particular situation, you need to have the mind of Christ. That's what he told us in chapter two. Have the mind of Christ, the mind that which is which was in him that he humbled himself. And he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant. You need to have this mind in your little thing that you got going on, ladies. He says, you need to walk. You need to. Paul has told us in chapter three that, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing for the for the goal. Remember that? Remember that when he says, I I forget everything that's behind and I strive for that which is before me. I press toward the goal of the high calling I'm pressing for. It doesn't just mean holding fast to the truth, although that is an integral part of pressing. It means in our particular situations, in our lives, in our practice, in our walk. We talked a lot about walk last time, didn't we? He says, you note those that walk according to these things. And it says, and you beware those who walk differently. The enemies of the cross. Understand that when we hold little disagreements, petty things, dumb things, when we hold these things against each other, as believers, as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we allow these things 
to fester in us, when we allow our mind to be consumed by these things and our heart to be drawn back away from one another because of these things, you are walking as an enemy of the cross. Do you understand that? I hope that you do. Because really, you know, if Brother Bobby and I have a disagreement over something done, now we're not talking doctrinal issues. There can be no unity where there is is not truth. So I'm not saying that you go out with every, you know, every heretic out on the block preaching false gospel and you got to be unified with them. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what he believes. And scripture backs that up. But we're talking about those who have their names in the book of life here. Say, so if me and, if me and Bobby have a disagreement, we're, we're, uh, uh, you know, not nothing, you know, we're not throwing punches or anything like that, but we, we've disagreed on a certain thing. We've got personality clash that's going on, whatever. And we decide, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay away. I'm not gonna mess with him. He's not gonna mess with me. And we're just gonna kind of, we're just kind of going to go our separate ways and not worry about it. And we're in the same fellowship of, of believers. We're in the body of Christ together. What we are doing, We are walking as enemies of the cross. Let me explain that to you, because that doesn't seem that doesn't seem it seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? But the reality is, if if Brother Bobby is a believer, his name is written in the book of life and I am a believer and my name is written in the book of life and Christ paid for all my sins in such a way that I don't add any of my works and I refuse to have any of that added to my account. And I'm trusting only in what he did in his righteousness. And Brother Bobby's, I'm sorry, I'm using it as an example. He's trusting in all of what Jesus has done and he's not putting any of his works. If I refuse in the same fellowship to have fellowship with him, what am I saying? I'm saying Jesus is not enough. I'm saying, you know, Jesus, you're enough to pay for my sin. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. I don't want any works. I don't want any righteousness other than you. But if I'm going to forgive Bobby, I'm going to have to have something more than Jesus. I'm going to have to have something more. He's going to have to come to me and apologize. He's going to have to come to me and make things right. He's going to have to make amends for what he's done or whatever I perceived he's done. If, if I am thinking that way, I am walking as an enemy of the cross. I'm saying, in effect, although I wouldn't say it in my brain, I wouldn't say it with my mouth. And if you asked me, I would tell you, no way do I believe it. But I am walking as if Jesus is not enough to pay for sin. I am walking as if the father has accepted Jesus for all of Brother Bobby's sins. But I require some more. Jesus is not enough for me to get back and be in the same mind with him. And that's something as believers that we can never do. You can never do that. That's something that it's one thing to say, you know what? You don't understand what's going through. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand the kind of situation I'm going through. Well, let me tell you, these are the circumstances. You really don't understand what's happening. Let me explain it to you. That's one thing. And you can make a case for that. You can make a case for anything, really. I mean, if you're a good arguer, if you're a good speaker, you can make a, you can make a defense for yourself. But when it comes down to it, what you are saying, what you are walking in is that Jesus is not enough. I need something more. And so when he says, when he says, look, I entreat you, I beg you. 
Euodius and Syntyche, you've got to be of the same mind. You've got to strive together. That's an application for us today. You have to press for the goal of the high calling. That doesn't just mean, it does mean this, but it doesn't just mean pressing for right theology, pressing to know the gospel more. Yes, that's all included and that's the joy of our lives if we are born again. And it's absolutely necessary that you press to know the gospel and to live the gospel. But it's also necessary for you to press and fight to love one another as Christ has loved you. That is part of the gospel. And this is why I'm not saying that you're perfect. I'm not saying if you mess up and you don't do it the way you're supposed to, uh, that all of a sudden you've lost something or anything like that. What I'm saying is when you press and fight To love one another in spite of our differences. Not talking about doctrinal differences. I hope hope I've said that enough. But in spite of those of us that have been born again, book of life, you you press to have fellowship. You press to love. You, You strive for that. When you're striving for that, what you're saying is Jesus is enough to pay for them. Jesus's death is so precious that it doesn't just pay for me. It pays for them as well. And I don't hold anything else on their account because the father looks down from heaven and he doesn't hold anything else on their account. And so I am in one mind with him and therefore I'm in one mind with them. Does it mean I'll never have another disagreement? Um, No. But it means just like we've seen so many times in this letter, we're striving for it. We're fighting for it. There's a war, the flesh and the spirit, and you can feel it creep up. I, I, I mean, to be honest with you, you can feel it. You know, you'll, you'll say, you know what? That's right. You are right. And I'm going to stop it. Whatever disagreement I've had, whatever ought I've got against my brother, or my sister, whatever thing that's been going on in our relationship, I decree right now that it's going to stop today. And I am never going to, I'm never going to let it come up to my mind again. And then an hour later, you see him walk around the corner and there it is. It's it's rising up. It's a war. It's a fight. It's something that we strive for. He's saying to them, look, if you're going to walk in the gospel, if you're going to trust in the gospel, you need to understand how this gospel plays out in your life. We're not just talking about, hey, guys, be nice to each other because that's what Jesus would do. I mean, that's true. We're talking about, hey, guys, be in one mind together, because if you're not, you're making light of the cross. You're making light of the gospel. It's walking in Christ. And so one of the things one of the things you got to understand is these petty disputes, these disagreements, these not just arguing with each other, but drawing back from each other, drawing away from each other. That damages the testimony of Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said? This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. From what? When you love one another. You love that you have for one another. In Jesus, Jesus is also the one who said, look, if your brother has ought against you and you come to worship me, what should you do? You should leave your gift at the altar and you should go be reconciled with your brother. And then you come back and offer your gift at the altar. Now, understand this. There's something really, really wonderful in the, depending on how you take it, it's wonderful, but really, really intricate in that saying that Jesus said, I believe it's his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He says, he doesn't say, if you have ought against your brother, leave your gifts at the altar and go be reconciled. 
He says, if your brother has ought against you, you leave your gift at the altar. Doesn't say, now, if you're right, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, if they're wrong and you're right and they've done it and you, you know, then just don't worry about it. It's all good. He says, you be of the same mind. You think the same thing, basically, is, is literally what it says. You be of the same mind with them. Doesn't mean you got to agree with everything they do or everything they say. It means that we strive to be in fellowship with them because of the gospel. Because of who we are, we are, whether you like it or not, if your name, I'm I'm using that at the end of the verse three, if your name is written in the book of life, then we are all united together in Christ. Whether you like it or not, whether I like the way you dress, whether I like the way you talk, whether I like the way you act, we are united in Christ. I'm talking about if your name is in the book. Now, we can talk about all kind of things, whether this is whether this is the way we should be doing or that. be. But if your name is in the book and you are born again, we are united in Christ. You are united in Christ with all those who have been written in the book of life. Now. That's hard. Ain't it? I mean, that's that's not a, that's not an easy thing to stand fast in the Lord is to stand united in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why. He adds, he's not just airing the dirty laundry. He's not just making a joke and calling their names so they'll be embarrassed when this letter is read to the Philippian church. He is showing us that this is so important and it's a war. He understands. Listen, we're not built that way. We're not built that way. We don't have a heart to do that. Even as the Holy Spirit fills us and dwells in us, Our hearts are wicked and there's a war between flesh and spirit all the time. And it's always going to be a battle. So what does Paul do? He understands completely that we're we're not like that. He doesn't just say, okay, Euodius and Syntyche, y'all be cool. You know, y'all settle this thing y'all got going on and moves on. He enlists this person, this other person. We don't know who he is. But he calls him a true yoke fellow. To be honest, there's a lot of discussion about who he is, whether the name is Sisychus or whether the, the, he is the pastor of the church. I, I take it as a general statement. All of us in the body of Christ should be yoke fellows. Yoke fellows, you know what a yoke is. Over two oxen, striving in the same direction, pulling in the same direction. He's talking to all of us. Talking about whoever, the true yoke fellow. He says, you understand this is not easy. To put aside differences, to put aside disagreements, to put aside things that really don't matter and fight for the gospel, strive for the gospel, strive to win the loss to Christ, strive to disciple your brothers and sisters and to grow them in the Lord. It's not easy. So he says, yoke fellow, you guys who are striving with him, you guys who are pulling with him, you help these women. You get in there and you help them to put this down and to fight for the gospel. And he mentions a few other names. He mentions Clement and all his other fellow laborers. You help them. You Sometimes it means if you're going to be a yoke fellow, if you're going to be in the body of Christ, if you're going to be a brother and sister striving for the, striving for the Lord, sometimes it means you have to get down in the mud with these two ladies. And you have to help pull them out. You have to bring them together. You have to invest your life into what's going on in the fellowship of the saints. You have to invest yourself. It would be easy if I'm the person that he's talking to. Paul, man, you know how them women are. They've been going at this thing for a year. 
I mean, you can't tell them nothing. You can't tell them anything. They got to answer for everything. All they want to do is argue with me. And when I get involved and I try to tell them, you know, what, what you would have, what Jesus would have us do, I usually end up getting my head bit off. I'm not messing with them. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Forget that. I'm staying in my office. I'm locking the door. He says, no, he says, you help them. You get in the mud with them and you fight for unity in the body. You fight for the fellowship of the gospel. You fight to make this truth a reality, not only out there in the world, but right in here in your own lives, in your own fellowship. All those who are in the book of life, you fight for that. You, you strive for it. There can be, listen, I am not saying last thing we'll do, we're leaving. I'm not saying there can be no unity where there is no truth. So we're not talking about those who say Jesus was just a good teacher and he wasn't the son of God and he didn't really die on a cross or the gospel is not enough to pay for my sin. You need to add this, this, and that. We're not talking about that. Paul spent part of the last chapter telling us to beware of those folks, telling us to watch after those folks and to mark those folks. He's talking about us who are in the book of life, who hold fast to the truth. Listen, the truth is not something that we just fight for out there. The truth is something that we fight for in here, in my own heart, in my own life. Maybe today, today, you know, you may not have a disagreement that's going on with someone. You may not have someone from whom you've withdrawn or, or you know what, I just, I can't have fellowship with them. Maybe you're not that person. If you're not that person, that's a wonderful thing. But if you're not, then you should be the yoke fellow. You should be the person who's discipling and who is bringing truth in the midst of things going on. And if you, listen, you can't, either way, either way, you can't say, it's not my problem. You're in the body of Christ. You're in this fellowship with us at Christ Church here in Brownsville. If you're a member of a church down the road or if you're a member of church across the state or in another state, that's where you should be the yoke fellow. That's where you should be striving for unity, striving for fellowship, striving to make the gospel known out there in the world, in here in the fellowship and real in my heart, in my interactions. You should be striving and pressing for the mark. Pressing for the mark of the high calling also means fighting against my own flesh, fighting against my own pride, fighting against self that tells me you don't need to get involved. You don't deserve that. You don't have to you don't have to be in fellowship with them. You don't have to even worry about those things. That is walking as an enemy of the cross. And none of us are exempt especially me. I have found myself in that same predicament. The flesh wars against the spirit. You think, you know what? It's not my problem. Whatever. I'm just going to go on. I'll do my thing and, you know, I'll keep on ministering over here and I'm going to stay away from this area over here. Understand, you and I are called, even if it's not your dispute, even if it's not your, you're called to be the yoke fellow that gets down in the mud with those who are hurting, those who are going through things, and to lift them up as your brothers and sisters, those who have their names written in the book of life. Understand, if you don't know Christ, this is all, I might, have, might as well be speaking a foreign language to you, because you don't have a heart that desires to walk 
in the truth. You don't have a heart that desires to get involved in all this mess. You know that relationships are messy. You know that people are messy. And to get involved with someone, to strive with them, that fellowship and unity with them, sometimes it hurts. But understand, that is the truth of the gospel walking in you. You can't say, yes, I believe that Christ paid for all sin, for all my sin. And then see your brother and sister in Christ and say, I can't have fellowship with them. I can't have unity with them until they add something else on top of Christ. You're walking as an enemy of the cross. And it's easy, as we've seen in Philippians over and over again, it's easy to slip into that mindset. It's easy to slip off. It's easy to fall off the edge into that and to wallow in it. And so he calls names. He could just as easily, you know, if he was writing, if Paul, we were alive back then and Paul wrote a letter to Christ church, he could have easily said, Jason, stop being an idiot. He could have easily called any one of our names with the things going on in our lives. And basically what he's saying is not just do better, not just work harder. He's saying, you say you believe the gospel? Then you walk. Walk in the gospel. If you believe that it's true, there shouldn't be any barrier between you and your brother and sister that cannot be, that cannot be reconciled. Today, examine yourself whether you be the faith or not and examine yourself whether you are walking in accord with the gospel. If you're not in fellowship here at Christ Church and Sunday school and all the programs that we have that go on in the lives of people and the, in the events that we have in fellowship here uh, during services, if you're not involved, get involved. Be a yoke fellow. Invest yourself. Walk in accordance with the gospel. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for all that you've given.